Coach. Hey, Frank, what's happening? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. Okay. So, man, do you, you want to jump into this? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll just follow your lead. I'm, <clears throat> I'm all set up here. I think my microphone's good. i am uh, yeah. got, got a glass of water ready, and I'm happy to talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was thinking, you know, like just for our first kind of inaugural discussion, maybe we should uh, start off by exploring the state of the human animal. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically in the West, right, in the Western modern consumeristic world, what do you what do you feel is the state of the human animal right now? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to start with that. Yeah, let's yeah. start. So, what do you think? I mean, what what's your first kind of thoughts on that? Well, it's it's not looking good for the human animal really anywhere on the planet right now. And we can look at any number of, of metrics to tell us about health, but a lot of the negative uh, sort of uh, non-communicable diseases, these lifestyle problems that people have, all of those are on the rise and they have been for the last few decades. But the one that seems most uh, ominous is the rise in mental illness that seems to afflict so many people around the world and it's i've heard estimates saying that like one billion people on the planet are suffering from some sort of anxiety depression neurological problems and it's uh it's a genuine epidemic so yeah things are looking tough for the human animal and the only real exceptions right now are people who are affluent enough to kind of insulate themselves from reality and that is okay for them, but it creates this social injustice and this radical inequality that makes everything worse. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're in a tough spot. So, yeah, I was just thinking when you were saying that, right? Like, I think even for people that are affluent, I, I, would, I would, would be very surprised if they weren't suffering as well. Yeah. at least in the, the mental illness kind of space, right? Um, I'm reminded here yeah, of this, this quote by Krishnamurti where he said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And yes. I think that's something that is not being discussed because this, if we just take the mental illness side of things, because that's the one part that I've also noticed as well, as I'm talking to people, like I'm in Thailand right now, I'm at my second home. It's at a retreat. I get to interact with a lot of people uh, from varied backgrounds. And when you sit and you talk to them, you know, many of them are actually doing okay, you know, financially, Mm -hmm. you know, middle upper class and and above, but they're not happy. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because they have all the material wealth, right? They have all the stuff that we've been promised by consumerism, that if you have all these toys, you're going to be satisfied, you're going to be happy. But it seems that that is not the case, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if anything, it seems to make things even worse. So how much of this, this, this kind of like, push towards because we're always talking about technology right and we're also saying oh technology is going to solve all the problems but from what i can see technology has pretty much caused most of the the issues (laughs) right that goes back to you you may know a historian named lewis mumford and he wrote back I, i believe in the early to mid 20th century and his rap on technology was that it 
will typically solve one problem and then create other problems. So we keep relying on technology to solve problems and it keeps creating more and more and more. And now we're just drowning in this complexity that we, we just simply can't understand and deal with. So it's, um, I think, yeah, because I think the, the reason too, right, it's, it's not that technology is the problem because obviously technology in of itself is not the issue. It's how it's utilized. It's how it's applied, right? I mean, technology right. can be very good. Look at us right now. We're sitting here. We're having this conversation. I'm in Thailand. You're, uh, you're in the States. You're in Seattle, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're on two opposite sides of the world and we can do this. It's beautiful. It's amazing that we can do that. I think the problem always is that it's about profit, and it's about greed. And so most of the things that are created, even to solve a problem, is to make money, right? Is to make that profit. It, it, it's, not this, it's not this kind of altruistic reason for doing it. You know, like I don't really care about the fact if it's going to make money. All I care about is that it should help people and improve people's lives. It, it never seems to be that, right? It's always, it's always to make profit. And even those companies that, you know, put on their, their, their different products that they are supporting, whatever ventures that may be, the only reason they're doing that is because they realize that by doing so, there is a far more likelihood of people purchasing their product because people are, well, they're, they're not everybody, but there's enough people who are awake, consumers who are awake, who are starting to mm -hmm. realize and mm -hmm. see the writing on the wall, so to speak, that as we've been saying, right, things are not as good as we've been told they, they are. And, uh, you know, if you go back in your life, you know, I don't know, go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you know, uh, we were supposed to be like the Jetsons by now, right? Flying around in <laughs> right. space, uh, like flying cars and all this kinds of stuff. And, you know, you'd have a, your food would come out of a simulator out off the wall and all these things. And there'd be like yeah. no more d disease and, you know, no more unhappiness and everybody's jolly and it hasn't, it hasn't materialized. Yeah. And I think what you're, what you're referring to here is a kind of story, what I call a plastic narrative. And that, you know, we, we're surrounded by plastic now in so many um, material forms, but some of our stories are plastic as well. And these, these plastic narratives are cooked up by marketing departments to sell us a particular lifestyle so that we in turn will buy their products. And we take our guidance our lifestyle guidance from these plastic narratives instead of from say tribal elders or from our own experience. And so a lot of us, I think, end up living lives that are kind of inauthentic. And that's, that's probably at the root of a lot of our suffering now. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I just, you know, just as you were saying that again, like you just look at some people, like for example, Elon Musk is a good example of that, this whole idea <laughs> of, you know, connecting us to machines and i have such a big problem with it because what it says is that we're not good enough right is that in of ourselves mm -hmm. as the human animal we're we're not at the place that we should be and unfortunately now we're going to have to hook into some kind of technological advance in order to move to that next level um i, I just i just see that as a recipe for disaster to be quite honest Right. And the, the flip side of that is that 
when you really look at the human animal, we are these magnificent, unbelievably sophisticated creatures. I mean, our sensitivity, our ability to know the natural world and to adapt to it is just unbelievable. And the, just for example, the hand, your hand that holds the cell phone, the hand is a million times more exciting and interesting and sophisticated than the phone. And so I think we're, we're really distracted from our own innate powers and our own innate uh, value as, as animals. I think you said something really important there. We're distracted. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely the case. A good example would be, so last night we had a little bit of a, um, a get-together here with all the guests that are at the retreat and uh, sitting around the fire and uh, having some vegetarian food. It was really great. Um, but I noticed that you know, we're in this amazing, beautiful setting but quite a few people are sitting there on their phones, right? Yeah. I kind of yeah. even challenged them on it. I was like, why are you guys on your phones? I mean, look at where you are. Why do you need to be on your phone? You know, what, you, what, is, what is surrounding you right now, what you can see, the phone right. could never match. You know, ex- just immerse yourself in this experience because this is a beautiful mm. experience. But that's exactly mm. as you said, right? We're so distracted and like one of the things that i just noticed as well and i I made a post about this just the other day on facebook is that you know you you, at some point if you really honest with yourself you start to realize that it's really the simple things that we've taken for granted that are the most magnificent moments that you can have right so i was on the beach because where i am at at this retreat literally in walking distance to the beach and i put this Mm -hmm. photo look okay so i did use my technology some kind of like (laughs) contradicting myself a bit but you know i took a photo of of um the sunset right just to make a point to say like look how beautiful this this amazing sunset is and uh you know just that in itself i felt that inspired me that made me feel happy you know that made me feel more connected and i was on the on the beach and you know just you, you hear the waves coming in and you can't recreate that in technology, right? Like not even the photo that I took can do it justice. Right, right, absolutely. Well, you know, I think what happens is we get tricked by our nervous systems because we are so good at adapting. Our nervous systems are so plastic that when something happens repeatedly it becomes familiar and when something becomes familiar it drops out of consciousness so i've seen that sunset before you know i've seen a million thunderstorms i've seen lightning i've seen all that stuff and so it's familiar and it doesn't register as as well as it might so it's it's a way we need to get out of our habit i think uh, of perception that um that leads us astray so i I guess the question really is you know just on just kind of like just a cursory kind of looking at it what can what should people be doing right like what should we do and i think for myself what i'm trying to do is just really simplify my my life as much as i can you know start taking away really the 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 things that are not essential because when you start Mm -hmm. looking around most of us have so much stuff that we don't really need. Most of it's just sitting there. We never use it. Um, and, and just coming back to that natural experience, man, there's something I talked to you about before is, you know, when I was on the Isle of Man during the whole COVID thing, some of the best experiences I had there was just, you know, 
putting the phone aside, just leaving it, you know, and going nowhere near it and just going off for walks into the woodlands and, you know, over the, the hills and just, you know, around the cliff tops. And that was just amazing. And that was, that was really a profound experience, not only just, you know, connecting to nature, but just for myself mentally. And I think that's the thing that, that the fundamental problem is, is that, Almost all of the things that I see that are coming out to help people basically do better in the world that we're in now mm -hmm. are methods that are just perpetuating the very same problem. Right. 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 I mean, so if you even just look at psychology right now, I mean, every second week, there's a new therapy. There's a new psychological approach to this problem. I mean, at what point are we going to get to where it's just getting ridiculous, right? It's just the, even yes. the DSM, the, the, the manual that all mm -hmm. the, the, the you know, psychologists use to diagnose what kind of mental illness is just getting thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. I mean, and yeah, if we think yeah. back, if we think back to hunter gatherers, as far as we can see, and this is the research that's come out from, from very well-known anthropologists is that there didn't seem to be that much mental illness. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's pretty well established. And just my time with the Bushmen and talking to my safari guides and that sort of thing, that those communities, the, the people were quite healthy until, mm. until, you know, the, the change. And so I think it's our natural state is to be mentally healthy. And mm. the, the modern world is a deviation from that. But the, um, the thing I find really interesting about the paleo and, the, and this conversation is that there's some solid research now showing the power of awe. And you can actually test this in a laboratory, believe it or not. You can show people video um, clips of different awe-inducing moments in nature and that kind of thing and compare that with people who are watching other things. And they measure the outcome and they find that People who are under the influence of awe behave better. They're more pro-social. They have more time available. They relax. They're in more of a, a parasympathetic nervous system state. And the body works better. And, and then you think, well, in the paleo, we would have had those awe experiences almost every day. And now it's a rare thing. So yeah. we're, we're, you might say, awe-deprived in the modern world. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned parasympathetic there, and I think maybe that's worthwhile to unpack because uh, there's probably going to be people listening to this that don't really understand the, that terminology, right? So, I mean, in really simple terms, we, we all have a nervous system. Um, if we break it into two parts, we've got the sympathetic, we've got the parasympathetic. Sympathetic meaning that that's the part that most people will recognize when they hear the words fight, flight, mm -hmm. freeze. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, anytime you're in a stress situation, whatever that stress situation is, real or imagined, right, that sympathetic nervous system starts cranking on and starts putting you in a position to hopefully either deal with the situation or get out of there, right? Yeah. And so right. what happens is for most people, and this is the experience that I've seen, is that they are running sympathetically hot all the time. Their sympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system is firing all the time. And as you said, we're so highly adaptable that most people are not actually aware of it. 
until, right. for example, they'll come down to the retreat where I am now and we go through an experience where we get people to really re-engage with the embodied experience, take away all the technology, all the distractions and just be with themselves. And then suddenly they start to realize that actually, wow, you know, I actually am not feeling that great. And I probably haven't been feeling good for some time because we're so good at just get just getting through things, right? Even I, I think most people are not optimal. They don't feel optimal inside, but you know, they get on with things because we, like you said, we, we, we adapt. And the real secret there is to find ways to engage the, that other side of the, the autonomic mm-hmm. nervous system mm-hmm. is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest side of our, uh, nervous system right and so there's various ways that, that that can be engaged with the one way that it can't is through dialogue right so if you in your head and you're stressed out and you're telling yourself to relax most people can recognize this i always say like when you when you're really stressed out and you're talking to yourself in your head and you're telling yourself to relax how well does that work for you most people <laughs> say it doesn't right it just doesn't work at all and the right. reason is because the nervous system, it's not the language that the nervous system understands, right? Mm-hmm. The nervous mm-hmm. system, and especially the parasympathetic nervous system that calms us down, the language that, that, it, that, that invokes it, if we want to call it that, or the experiences yeah, yeah. that bring it about, are things like you just said, like awe, mm-hmm. um, understanding breathing and how to breathe correctly. Right, right. Meditation, mindfulness yep. practices. These are the things that engage that parasympathetic nervous system. And the thing is, when you talk to people, they don't have, if we can call it a parasympathetic practice. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist in their their everyday. Um, And that's part of the reason I'm sure that most people are struggling mentally, because if you're just running on fight and flight all the time, I mean, it seems quite obvious that that's not going to be good for you. Because again, if we use the hunter-gatherer example, right? I mean, yes, of course, they had predators that they had to deal with and stuff, but it would, it would be moments in time. It wouldn't be a, an everyday, every second kind of situation. Right. So there would right. be moments of high stress and then lots of moments of downtime and nothing happening, right? Where mm-hmm. There was recovery mm-hmm. time. Um, and so... For us in the Western world, most people, especially in this kind of kind of crazy, chaotic world that we find ourselves in, where things are changing all the time, we just don't have any time just to take a step back and uh, you know engage that parasympathetic nervous system. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, what some people call temporal poverty because yeah. we we feel like there's always this this chronic urgency and that's contagious because we're such hyper social animals that if the if people around you are behaving in a way that that gives off urgency you're going to pick it up as well so the whole thing cascades and gets worse but um yeah the, the autonomic nervous system just fascinates me and i think that um in effect what it's doing the brain and the autonomic are looking out at the world all the time, looking out at habitat and asking this question, is the world friendly? Mm. And if the answer is no, then they go right into fight flight. And that's perfectly appropriate. But if the answer is yes, then you can go into that parasympathetic feed and breed mode. So it's all about the perception of what you believe about the friendliness or unfriendliness of the world. And 
And that's, that's what makes it really tough right now because so much of what we read, there's a lot of bad news and we see a lot of projections about coming years, whether it's climate, you know, environmental devastation, all these things. It's really hard. We need allies. We need friends to, uh, to help us with this. Yeah, no, exactly. Hold on. I just don't know why that's it's supposed to be off. Somebody called me here. I'll, I'll just edit that. <clears throat> yeah, so why is this? What's happening here? Let me quit this. Okay. So, yeah, so you were saying we need friends to help us. <laughs> so, what, who, who would those friends be? Right. Well, allies of any kind, really, but people, especially who take the time to converse with us. That's another missing ingredient in all of this because people are in such a hurry now that our conversations are increasingly scripted and hurried. We don't take the time to, we, we exchange messages, but we don't really have conversation in a lot of settings. And that's, that's a big deficiency for people. I, I think there's a craving uh, that the human animal has for contact and communicate really authentic communication. Everybody wants to, to feel felt. Everybody wants to feel seen and to feel heard. And that's kind of going away in a lot of settings, even in settings where you would expect to find it places like education or in modern medicine, where you hardly ever have a conversation. It's mostly just information going back and forth. So yeah. we have a lot of work to do there. I think that's really interesting. You know, the idea of the conversation, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, as I'm talking to people and I can feel that they just haven't had this kind of genuine deep conversations because everything's through, like we keep saying, right? Everything's through technology and everything's about speed. And it's, it's, it's always about just getting things done as quickly as you possibly can. And then when they come to something like where I am now at this retreat and they get that opportunity just to slow down, then suddenly, you know, over a few days, people start kind of opening up and start talking more. And the interesting thing is that last night we were sitting around the, the fire pit, which is kind of when, when, when we first built the fire pit at the retreat, right? Everybody was saying, why are you going to build a fire pit? It's Thailand. It's so freaking hot, right? It's not like yeah. you need, need a fire. I said, no, I think it's a really good idea because, you know, if you look at our history as the human animal for so much of our time, just think of hunter gatherers again, right? Because right. that's how we spent our, most of our time on this planet. The modern version of us is just a moment in time. The, the hunter gatherer is our extended long body time, right? That's where we spend all our time. Um, we would have sat every night once we figured out how fire worked around a fire uh, you know, and talking. And that would be the place where we would communicate and connect and dance and play music and all those yes. things and build a community. That's where you build your community, right? Right. And you create story and narrative and that creates culture. And that becomes your roadmap for how to understand the world and how to proceed. And this is another thing that I've noticed about the modern world is that our, we don't have a unifying narrative anymore mm -hmm. because some people advocate that we go into that Star Trek future you talked about, or other people say, no, we have to go back to the paleo, but that just doesn't seem possible. And then all these interpretations just coming at us all the time. 
we don't have one single unifying story and that we feel that as stress because we're used to having some guidance from story and we need to we need to get to that i suppose where everybody what they need to kind of do is do a check-in right see where they're where they're at what's going Mm -hmm. on what are the things that they're actually struggling with and then start thinking about how they can change that it's it's Mm -hmm. literally i mean what we do need is we need to create a new culture where we see the human animal for what it is this beautiful intelligent experience that we're having and become self-reliant is probably the best Mm -hmm. way to describe it, right? Become self-reliant in of ourselves without the need for anything else external, right? And then if we've got the external stuff, technology, whatever that is, that's great. We can use it when we need to, but I think we have to just remind ourselves all the time that we are enough. This is enough, right? And I think that's the thing that I feel is missing, right? Is that, Again, like I, I, I use that example of Elon Musk and a few others, like kind of that push towards wanting to like connect us to some kind of machine and you know, all this kinds of stuff. It just, it, to me, it just, it keeps saying we're not enough. And I'm saying, yes, we are actually enough. And the reason <laughs> we feel that we're not enough is because we've been distracted and we've been sold a narrative and a promise. If you gain these consumeristic goods, you get all this materialistic wealth, then you, go, you would have made it and you're going to feel great. That's not the case. And it doesn't work that way because some of the happiest people on the planet are the people that have none of that stuff. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Think about your time with the Bushmen, right? Right. How happy were they? Well, they were on the edge because I could sense that there was a base level of happiness, but their encounter with the white culture was tearing their culture apart. And so they were suffering in that sense, but uh, that's understandable. Yeah. But I suppose if, I suppose if we place them before that though, right. I mean, they, they were, they were really happy. Um, I think they, so. They probably would have yeah. that memory of what it used to be like, right? Um, right. You know, even yeah. if we, you know, I've, I've heard um, Aboriginal elders talk about how it used to be like and what their life was like, you know, and how they were just in communion with nature, and nature was was just an ex- was a part of and an extension of what it was to be human, right? Mm-hmm. It was all connected. I mean, that's one of the things you hear all the time from people like hunter gatherers right they talk about the natural world as being integral and part of who they are it's just it's a continuation and i think that's also a problem that we have in the western world is it's us and the natural world is out there it's completely separate as other other, and we are not connected to it right and i can see how that's that's that can be the case right if you for example live in a city you don't even get to see the stars because of the lights on all the time, right? You look up in the, in the night sky. I mean, it's amazing. Like when you come out to a place where that isn't the case and suddenly you just, you're confronted with this amazing vista of all the stars as, as far as the eye can see, um, people in the cities are just not going to have those experiences. I mean, it's just concrete jungle, even their movement, like even if you think about movement patterns, right? Think about how people move in a city. Everything's in a straight line, right? 
Yeah, um, yeah. Turn left, turn right, 90 yeah. degrees everywhere. Yeah. 90 yeah, degrees are everywhere. And yeah. that and it's fascinating to watch when you have people that have lived so much of their time in the city and then you bring them into the natural world and you get them to move in ways that is required, like, you know, ducking under a branch or climbing over some rocks and people are no confidence, like really unsteady. Like they don't feel like they can actually do it because it's, it's been stripped away from them. That, that, that kind of the intelligence of the body no longer exists for them because they're only moving in straight lines, 90 degrees, and then sitting for most of the day. Right. Yeah. We need to be more uh, three-dimensional in nature for sure. And it all, I keep going back to agriculture because I think, you know, this was the breaking of the world when, when people first started plowing and working the land, nobody ever used to work the land before that. It was all the, the natural habitat provided and people trusted natural habitat to provide. And we were part of that. And then all of a sudden we started working the land and the land habitat kind of became other and that that held sway for quite a while and then we did industrial agriculture and that was like a complete break because now if you live in a city you have no idea where your food comes from it just comes from the store and so you have no emotional connection with habitat at all and that's that's really dangerous so you know that that's one more it's, challenge, it, you know it's a, it yeah. is, a, as you were saying that, it's like one of, my, one of my things that would just kind of, just, I don't know, it just gets to me. When, I'm, when I was in Isle of Man, you know, there's only a certain places you can go and buy food. One of those being Tesco's. It's like a big, you know, big uh, store. And I just like noticed how people would handle the food too, you know, from the people packing mm. the food, from people taking the food and placing it in their baskets. It was just like, you know, just dropping things in. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. no, no care, like no, that's what I mean. It's like completely disconnected where I think you would have a very different kind of perception and understanding of the world if you went out and you had to find your own food, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and just realize how intricate that is and, and how it shifts depending on what season it is. And we, again, thinking of hunter-gatherers, that's exactly it, right? They would gather what they needed. And when, when that resource was not available, then they would have to move somewhere else. And they would be constantly having that nomadic life. And everything you owned was just wrapped up in two seconds and you were good, good to go. Right. And yeah. that, that, that I think is, there's something beautiful about that. Now, of course, you know, like you, you mentioned earlier, it's going to be very difficult for us to go back. We can't all now go back and become hunter gatherers. I mean, not where the world is right now. I don't think it's really feasible for most of us, but I think we can um, learn about how hunter gatherers saw the world, how they, Mm -hmm. achieved what they achieved and find ways to reintegrate that back into our lives. I think that's possible. Right. And you know, what I find helpful is just looking at the time scale, because mm -hmm. if you, you've got this vast, vast expanse of time, 300,000 years for our species versus a very tiny percentage of that time devoted to modern industrial agriculture. And, yeah. and so 
we look at our ancestry as being historically normal. That was the norm for us. Now we live in this abnormal alien world. And there's nothing to say that this, this abnormal alien world is, is going to sustain itself. So what is normal for human beings? Well, hunting, gathering, being outdoors, that's normal. And so for people who feel uncomfortable right now, and which is a lot of us, I say, yeah, of course you do. And of course you feel that way because you're living in a condition that is in many ways alien to your, your heritage. Yeah. So, you know, give yourself a break (laughs) because it's not you. It's the, it's the container. It's the context. Yeah, that's beautiful because, you know, obviously there's no scientific evidence for this, but I, I get the sense, at least from, from my experience, that these things we're talking about, once you reawaken them, are really just encoded in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. see people that once you give them the opportunity to have that, though, these experiences that we're talking about, being out in nature, reconnecting to the natural world, taking away all the unnecessary things, simplifying themselves right taking them through a meditation practice so where they learn how to just be with the uncomfortable feelings that arise and so forth right everybody leaves that experience feeling profoundly changed yeah in a good way it's like and if Mm -hmm. you when i speak to them i say you say that you that it's done a really positive thing for you but like in what way like how do you describe that it's it's in, in many cases, the, the description that comes back to me is it's something that I had when I was a small child. Yeah, yeah. And then it disappeared. I felt right. like I had gone back uh, to a time when I had none of these worries, you know, when you're probably like up till around about six years old, right? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's kind of like a remembrance because like even for myself, I mean, I remember being six years old, somewhere around there and having the awe experiences that you're talking about. I remember mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and yeah. what it made yeah. me feel like it was, it's powerful. Right. And so I guess what, what I'm trying to do, and I know you're trying to do this through, through your, your work is how do we get these people back to that? And, and I think part of the thing is people just need to start to realize that what we are talking about is it is a reality and it, it, it is happening and the more you stay within the modern world, I think the more problems you're going to encounter and you're going to have to find opportunities to step out of that for your own good, for your own health. Right. And everybody's looking for a recipe or a formula and I don't think it exists, no. but, but you mentioned the word opportunity. We have to be opportunists because everybody's life is different. You have to go out and find that time where you can take your shoes off and get your feet on the ground and, and live in the natural world at, at least a little bit, you know, it, it, it's hard, but the, the other word you use is memory. And that's, I think, pivotal because you can look at the whole modern condition now as sort of a form of amnesia. You know, we've forgotten our primal powers. We've forgotten our sensitivity and the whole thing now is not so much about health and fitness it's about remembering who we really are and remembering our continuity with habitat and our continuity with other people and if we could do that we're we're gonna be good 
Yeah, it is, it is about remembering, right? And going to the latest state-of-the-art gym in a shopping mall right. is not what we're talking about, right? That's right, not what it right. is. And and it's, it's, it's I don't know, like it's, it's the same thing. It's like, and I, I'm sure you agree with this. It shouldn't be about exercise anyway. Like I hate, I hate the idea of exercise. It should be just about <laughs> movement. It's about moving. It's about moving. It's about fully expressing yourself. Um, that's what I love about martial arts. And we both do martial arts too, right? And I love jujitsu for that is that you can, you can, you can just fully express your body in a way and move your body in ways that even surprise mm -hmm. yourself. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's, it, it's not an exercise thing. Sure. You're getting fit and you're getting in shape as you do it, but that's not the primary focus. I mean, I can't right. think of anything worse than going into one of those strip malls and standing on a treadmill and running for 20 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's such a distraction and it, um, it kind of papers over what we really need to be doing. I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of good health and fitness professionals out there, a lot of good trainers, yeah. and we just need to get back to fundamentals. And that means getting rid of the machines. I don't think the machines really serve much of a purpose at all, unless you live in a like really extreme environment where you can't possibly go outside. But um, yeah, all you really need is gravity and some movement, maybe some other people to work with their bodies, maybe a medicine ball. And beyond that, I mean, you can do a lot with that as far as, you know, stimulating your memory for what your body used to be capable of. Sure. And, yeah. and even, and even if you are in a, in a city environment, I mean, in most cases, most cities have green spaces. Mm -hmm. So even if it's going down to those green spaces and making that a kind of a regular kind of ritual, I think that's also very, very important because again, it, it, you know, research has shown as an example that, in impoverished neighborhoods, if you create a green space, they've mapped, you know, that mental health starts improving mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. crime actually drops. Right, right. So yeah. again, it's like, you think about it is that it's almost like, it, cities to me almost feel like an, a prison, like we've imprisoned ourselves. We all, we all in our, in our little, little cells, those little cells mm -hmm, in those mm -hmm. tall buildings. And, you know, there are people around us, but we don't know them and we don't really connect with them. And then you come back home and you're back in your little, little box. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it, if we just look at the animal kingdom, right? Look at any wild animal that's been put into a zoo where mm -hmm. it's kind of caged and it doesn't have space in a very short period of time, it goes insane. Right. There's there's right. there's a detrimental aspect to being in that kind of environment. But we live in that environment. And then why do we we're also animals. And then why do we think that that's not going to be the same for us? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, this is the sort of veterinary model yeah. where uh, people have looked at the brains, the nervous systems of wild non-human animals and compared that to cat their captive counterparts, the ones in captivity tend to have smaller brains than the, than the wild animals. And we could assume the same kind of effects for, for us as well. So, 
it's uh, you got to get out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you just you saw that as well as just horrendous, right? Look what's happening in in China where they've locked down all the cities, right? Oh, and right. all those people are stuck in those high rise buildings and they're not allowed to yeah. go anywhere. And and there's this kind of dystopian kind of image of people screaming and wailing like just across the whole city because yeah. it's not oh, it's not normal to just like put us in these concrete boxes and just lock us in and yeah it's uh, i think i think for sure that you know we're going to have to find ways each of us in, independently on how to just kind of step out of the matrix so to speak right i mean you know i realize you know like what i can always say to my boys is that you know because it's kind of just because we've watched the matrix movies and yeah, yeah. joke you know so look you know we live in the matrix you know, we need to understand that that's the case, but we don't need to be owned by it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that, that ability to be able to step out, step out when needed, but that takes a lot of um, self-awareness, right? You need to have self-awareness and recognize when your body is not running optimally, or when you are hyper-stressed out and rather mm-hmm. now than just taking another pill or drinking some alcohol what people typically do, now would be the time to actually go out and seek out different experiences that are going to be more natural for you. Right. You know, I, I think it's also a question of what you identify with. Identity mm. is crucial in all this because yeah. maybe you live in a city, but you can still identify with the natural world. That is you. That And yes. you're maybe incarcerated and you're not happy about that, but still your identity is connected to the natural world. That's what's really important. I think where people go wrong is they start to identify with their state of captivity and all the tools and technologies and buildings and, and everything else. If you identify with your computer or your car or your phone or whatever, then I think you're really on the wrong track. So that's a fundamental question. So what do you identify with? And I think we can work with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we can't, I think we're coming to, to the end of this one. I mean, you got any kind of parting thoughts and, you know, we'll, we'll put it out and hopefully we'll get some fantastic feedback and people might want to hear something, you know, something to you know, next time around, like what we could focus on. But, you know, any thoughts on your final? Right. Well, I think our theme of memory, amnesia, that's a great theme. We can, we can do more with that. Um, this theme of trusting the body and its innate powers and celebrating that. The body is not fragile. The body is incredibly robust and it's incredibly sophisticated. And maybe we can celebrate that. And it's it's under pressure right now in a lot of different ways, but we as human animals, we're good at adaptation. We're fundamentally resilient and we will find a way to get through this, but, uh, but we have to honor our heritage to do that. Yeah. And my advice would be to people listening to this is that, you know, either they come to you or they, they come to me down at, at at this retreat in Thailand, because there is an opportunity to experience what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. there. There would be like a really important thing to do. You know, like make that investment so that you mm-hmm. can have that experience. And like one of the things that I try to do as best as I possibly can is that 
obviously I recognize that once people leave the retreat, they're going into the concrete jungle, right? They're going back to where they came from. And my number one goal is to give people the necessary tools that they can mm -hmm. apply anywhere, right? And, right. you know, just coming back to what we were talking about earlier, learning how to breathe correctly, learning the right way to breathe so that it engages your parasympathetic nervous system is something that you can then apply anywhere, regardless of where you are. And then that is invoking the natural intelligence of the human animal. Right, right. And even things like reading stories of, of adventures who, uh, you know, people who have gone out and endured great struggle and hardship. It's unbelievable what people can do. Yeah. And that alone, those stories, the knowledge of people who who persevere and who are resilient, that, that can help a lot too. So yeah, there's, there's plenty we can do. Yeah. All right. Good. Nice. <laughs>